DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by David Nixon, BYU TV football analyst and former Cougar linebacker. David, good morning. Good morning. How's it going, guys? Good. Got multiple uh, topics to discuss with you this morning, so let's get right to it. We might as well start uh, with the bowl game. You are satisfied with it? You are happy with it? You are a little disappointed but realize it's the best they could get? What are you thinking about a, uh, a trip to Boca Raton? Yeah, listen, outside the New Year's Six, I think this is probably the best bowl, the best matchup for BYU. Uh, you look at UCF, they're a well-respected program, 6-3 and three this year with three close losses, uh, and in a warm location. So if you're, if you're a player, you're loving it <laughs> because you avoided the uh, Idaho Potato Bowl where it's going to be freezing up there. Uh, so, no, I, I think it's good. I mean, obviously, everyone's disappointing, including the players. New Year's Six was in their grass. Uh, but when you look back on it, that was basically BYU's bowl game. I mean, that was their New Year's Six opportunity played at Coastal Carolina. They came up, you know, one, two yards short. Uh, and you have to live with it, and this is what you get. And once again, I think it's a great consolation prize. Um, and I think the players are genuinely excited to go out there and play one more time and uh, play on ESPN and, and kind of be that feature bowl that day. So, you know, I, it is what it is. But uh, I, I think, like I said, if, if you were to go to a New Year's Six, I think this is probably the best uh, the best option for, for the GOE team. I'm wondering, looking at what the committee has done, if BYU – unless they beat Coastal Carolina by 25-30, if it would have been enough. So there's a potential that the way the system is I've rigged might be the word or slanted or favored, whatever you want to say, that this is probably the best that they were going to do unless they went back there and slaughtered those guys, which under the circumstances of two days, I don't know that that was practical. Yeah, listen, I, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday before the, the playoff rankings came out. Um, and they asked, hey, in, in hindsight, should, have, should BYU have taken that game? And my response is, yeah, if you want to be the best, you got to play the best. And, and thinking that, you know, obviously they had to take it to hopefully get into that New Year's Six game. Well, yesterday when the, when the rankings came out and Cincinnati got bumped back a spot, I mean, it's pretty obvious, pretty evident what the, what the committee is trying to do to G5s, right? They're trying to, trying to yeah, shut them out as much right. as possible. So. Um, you know, yeah, it was. I think BYU, in hindsight, I'm glad they took the game because I think they would have had to have to try to, to try to make a push there at the end and, and still stay in the top ten uh, for that New Year's Six bowl game. So it was the right decision. Obviously, like you said, I mean, more preparation. I think it's a different outcome. I think if BYU has a full week to prepare, I think they win that game. You know, eight, nine, ten out of times with with Coastal Carolina. But obviously, it is what it is, and uh, you know. It's, it, like I said, it's one of those memories we talked about last week. It's one of those memories that, unfortunately, you'll, you'll remember the rest of your life being one, two yards short and how close you were to, to making history as far as BYU goes. I think they had to take that game because of how the system is set up. They would have been crushed if they did not take that game. So they had no choice. Now, Ohio State and Clemson and Alabama don't have to take a game like that because how the system is set up. But BYU did. Now, the thing I'm curious about here going down the stretch is that uh, I could write off the performance against San Diego State and say, hey, there was something missing there, but it's not surprising. There'd be a little bit of a letdown after you know what they were playing for. They didn't get it. And, and it was good enough against San Diego State. But I saw Brady Papinga, and I also know Brady has a lot of opinions and people don't buy them all. So I'm curious about what you think. 
He thinks that there are guys wearing down here at the end of the year, and he thinks it goes to strength and conditioning. Uh, You can find the tweet. I'm paraphrasing it. And it was a tweet, so he didn't have time to fully explain himself. But he thinks that they're basically wearing down, and guys aren't capable, especially in the trenches, of moving people around on both sides of the ball the way they did early in the season. I thought it was mostly an emotional, you know, maybe partly because it was freezing cold. Um, Dylan Colley brought that up. He said, that just wasn't football weather. December at night in Provo, it's 18 degrees. You're going to get a weird game. How do you explain it? Yeah, I, I would go with the latter. I mean, listen, I understand where Braves come from. That's his job regarding uh, training conditioning. But um, if you look at BYU's team this year in the, in the amount of injuries, season injuries have been really low if you compare it to season past. I mean, I as far as playmakers go, you've only had three or four guys that had been lost this season, which I think in years past it was double digits. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I think the fatigue of this season, I think it's A, definitely part of a letdown. I mean, uh, we talked about this last week as well. If you guys saw Isaiah Kafusi's interview after the, the post after Coach Carolina, the guy, the guy just broke down in tears. And he, he basically sobbed his way through the interview. Um, and it goes to show you how much emotion. He's a, you know, he's a team captain for the defense. It goes to show you how much emotion these, these kids were going through with that game, right? I mean, it was and, – and, and, of course, you know, we joke about all those little eyeballs on Twitter when the game was announced. I mean, that, that was all the players so excited and so giddy to go out there and play. Uh, then they come up, like I said, a yard short. I mean, that, you almost wish you got blown out in that game, right? And, and you could probably get over that loss a little quicker. Uh, but instead, how you had the chance at the end, you were that close to winning it, uh, made it that much worse. And so – I think there was definitely a hangover from, from that game. And then you throw in the elements at home. And, and frankly, guys, it, there wasn't much riding on that game anymore, right? I mean, BYU is pretty much relegated to a non-P6, uh, excuse me, a non-year six game. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it's kind of tough to get up for that game because your undefeated season is now gone. Uh, so you had all that in together. I think that's why I saw somewhat of a sloppy performance. I mean, BYU still goes out there, holds them scoreless in the second half. Uh, but, you know, offensively didn't put up quite the numbers they thought. That's also San Diego State defense that came in number three in the country in total defense. So, you know, it goes both ways. It was it was kind of a game as expected. I mean, listen, you look at last year's result when BYU played on the road at San Diego State uh, and the final was 16-3. to I mean, listen, you take that 28-14 to win every time. So we've been talking about Klein Sataki, how he's done a phenomenal job. I was talking to some folks on the staff saying, wow, you know, he's in his fifth year and he's really rounded into shape as far as being a head coach, understanding at all the things that go into it. And it only makes sense that you would be better in year five versus something that you're doing in year one. So with that in mind, does BYU, the administration, need to show him a little more love? Because I think they do, because I think that it would just be a setback to have to rebuild or reload. I'm not saying it, that he would leave, but if he chose to leave. So maybe show him some love to try to keep him here. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's, it's on its way. Um, I think with COVID and Tom having to worry about trying to schedule somebody new every week, that's probably been put on the back burner a little bit this season. Uh, but, but I think it's inevitable. And, and I think he also shows with, obviously, early signing day today with recruits, how he's gone out there and picked up some, some big recruits this year as well. And, and of course, winning helps that. Um, but I also think these recruits see how much these current players love to play for Kalani. And uh, it goes back to last year when they, they all pulled out those shirts after the last home game and said extend Kalani, right? Uh, and, and so these, these kids love to play for him. I think recruits notice that. 
um, that they know there's something special going on at BYU and, and it results in Kalani definitely getting a, a more longer-term deal, especially after the season. So I like Kalani's comments about Zach Wilson as well. He made recently saying it's always a good sign when you have a you know a top-10 potential quarterback. It shows that you're doing the right things, you're recruiting the right kids in your program, and it's heading the right direction. And, and I couldn't agree more with him. I mean, I think BYU is at the point now with this program where Kalani had to come in and rebuild the program uh, and get his own guys in there, his own recruits, and now you're starting to see uh, the results of, of all that hard work, right? You're seeing you're seeing these these upperclassmen playing and, and playing well, and so you know now he's restocked the cupboard, and and you see guys like Jake McConover that will be back next year. You see a ton of kids. I mean, you look at that wide receiver core; uh, everyone's pretty much back next year, including Isaac Rex, who I, I would argue probably you know all American freshman all American this year. Um, and so there's a lot of talent coming back. Um, defensively, you'll miss you'll you'll miss out on some guys. There's a lot of young guys that've got some significant playing time this year. So, I think Clyde definitely deserves an extension. He's got the players that I think next year will have. Uh, it will be another special season. It could be. I mean, if, if all the parts come into place and exactly, it obviously comes down to who takes the reins, whether it's Baylor or Conover, and and uh, you know how well they can perform there. But uh, I, I think it's I think it's exciting. I think the the program is definitely heading the right direction, no doubt. David Nixon joining us. You see him on BYU TV, former uh, BYU player. I'm curious how much f- high school football you watch in the state of Utah, and if you do, some uh, players you really believe in who are going to be impact players when they get to college. You know what? I actually watched more high school football this year than I probably have in any year past. My nephew, uh, John Henry Daly, who, who just committed to the Y uh, on Monday and signing today, he played for Lone Peak, so I've watched him all year, gotten into some of his games, and, of course, the ones that we couldn't make it to, watched him on TV. Um, and then my other little nephew, who moved up from California this year, uh, plays for Tempview. And so I was watching uh, all the Tempview games. I got to see Ray DeMooney and Logan Fano and those guys. And so, um, yeah, I got to watch. And, of course, I live here in Draper in the backyard of Corner Canyon. So, uh, And, of course, Corner Canyon played Lone Peak a couple times this year, so I got to watch those games. I watched Jackson Dart. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a crazy high school football season, and watching those guys play. But to that point, I think BYU, and depending on what Dart does today, whether BYU can snag them or not, um, I think BYU recruiting class, especially in state, is shaping up to be a pretty solid one. I mean, you think about uh, John Henry as well as um, uh, Demuni and, and Fado. I, I think those three guys alone are are going to be playmakers here for BYU in the, in the years to come. So. It's an exciting time, and like I said, I think the, the recruits are starting to notice that, and I think they're starting to see kind of energy vibe around this BYU program, um, and I think local kids are starting starting to take note. So we'll see if that continues, uh, the trend continues in years to come, but I'll tell you what, winning helps. <laughs> and, and it's easy to, if you're a recruit, it's easy to jump on board uh, when, when teams are winning, and, and you have to do that first, and that, that obviously helps most with recruiting. That's, that's what Kalani's doing right now, and like I said, you you uh, you see the results. What's with all the, the nephews? What are you Polynesian all of a sudden here, Dave? <laughs> uh, well, my brother-in-law. So it's my it's my older sister. It's her husband. Uh, actually, played at the Y. He he was a stud uh, linebacker. Oregon uh, coming out of high school, and so he's got he's got uh, my nephews have his his genes most likely, but. Uh, okay. so, those two are studs. I have a I have an older so you got John Henry, then he has an older brother Michael, who's on his mission right now. Uh, but he he had I think twenty four and a half sacks as a senior. John Henry had twenty two. Wow. So 
those two kids, uh, they'll be playing together here soon. It'll be fun to watch them. I, they'll probably be outside linebackers. They're probably not going to be the DN guys, but outside linebackers. So excited to watch them uh, them play here whenever they get to their missions and, and move on. I want to throw a question at you uh, that I heard, and I'm not going to give up any names, but there's somebody that BYU was recruiting, and the word came back that I'm not interested because, quote, I'm not a church guy. Now, my thought for you, that doesn't mean you're a bad person if you're not a church guy. We understand all that. But how much does religion play a factor in the life of a BYU football player? Meaning that if you're not a church guy, but you're willing to adhere to the rules, is there a place for you at BYU? 100%. 100%. And listen... The church is part of it. I know when I was there at Bronco, I haven't played in our clients. I'm not sure how he runs his meetings and things. Under Bronco, we'd have a we'd have an opening prayer uh, at our meetings, which was kind of different and cool. Um, but that was kind of the extent of it. You know, we, it's not like we were we were forced to watch the film and read the Book of Mormon at the same time. Um, but you, I mean, it, you kind of did your thing. Of course, Bronco did his did, did the firesides and all. Um, but there were plenty of kids on our team that were not members and. And we embraced them. It wasn't like they were shunned or, or that we, uh, you know, we didn't feel like they were a part of us. I mean, it's the end day you're out there to, to play football. Um, so I definitely think there's a, there's a spot for, for non-LDS uh, athletes to, to come play at BYU. And I think you'll see a lot of the kids, including I remember my day, Curtis Brown. He came here as a, as a non-member and, and realized uh, what was, you know, what BYU had to offer and, and kind of what, the main, obviously, what, what everyone was practicing there, and he eventually converted, and life's great for him. You know, we still keep in touch. Um, so I, I think it goes both ways. I, I think there's kids now that are members of the church, and, and um, they love kind of family atmosphere that Kalani's created. And so I, I think you can definitely come to BYU and not be, even if you are a member of the church and you're less active, I, I think there's still a spot for, for all kids. And um, frankly, I think it's great because it includes some of that diversity for these kids to be around. So, you know, I, that's obviously for each kid and, and depending on where he wants to go. And maybe that's an excuse that he throws out there that I'm not a church guy and that's why he doesn't want to come. But I think there's definitely a spot for anybody and everybody. David, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you after the bowl game. Yep. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right, DJ. DJ. Yes. My friend here, before you go to break, yes. little counsel. If you have on a quote-unquote BYU guy, it's probably in your best interest not to bring up what Brady Papinga says. True. and <laughs> they think he's a they, wacko. Yeah. And I know that. But the thing is that even people that you disagree with, sometimes you think there's an element of truth. And I think not Cougar fans... Him, and if Cougar fans read that... And are buying it, then, and if it's not true, then we have need to have someone on who has a credibility to say, well, here's why that's not true. Here, here's what's not. But happening. any time you ask, but asking a BYU guy, quote unquote, every one of them will disagree with him, though. I want to hear. I want to hear why. And I think the interesting thing that he brought I up. I think he's wacko. Well, okay. I think that's pretty well been established. You've brought it up a lot. He said other stuff. But when he, when David Nixon specifically brings up, hey, look at the way season-ending injuries have trained, have, have, uh, have trended this year. You know, you're doing stuff. And a certain number of them, it's just, you know, if a 300-pound guy falls on you, you know, stuff happens. Um, you're going to break a bone. Right. But, but if 
that if the number is really low, then you're doing something right to minimize that. So Papinga has a bone to pick with the strength and conditioning people. Speaking of bone, and I don't know what his deal is, and I think he's involved in the strength and conditioning also, I guess. Is he that, is. is he's selling true? products yeah. in that realm, right. yes. And so they're not buying his product. I don't know what the deal is, nor do I care. But there's something there. I'm just saying you are never going to get a BYU guy saying, yep, I agree with Brady. So if you want somebody to give you an objective answer, you're not going to get it because they're going to think he's a wacko, and they dismiss him completely. Fair or not, that's the situation. That's, that's the reality of the situation. Whether it's fair or not, I don't know, nor do I care. But I'm saying that's going to happen. No matter what BYU guy you bring on, you're going to get them dismissing what Papinga has to say every time. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. John Hartwell, athletic director at Utah State, with Gary Anderson no longer the head coach. A nationwide search. What was it about Blake Anderson that jumped out at you? Blake, his experience at Arkansas State, you know, a seven-year body of work, and he talked in his press conference. He said, you know, four and seven this year, but you look at his body of work, you know, the previous six years, all six years that he had been there as a head coach, bowl games every year, won at least seven games, two conference championships, lost in another conference championship. So a proven record of success as a head coach, that was obviously very attractive to us, but I think he will fit very well in Cache Valley with his work ethic and, you know, I, I just, I think he's going to be outstanding. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday from 2 to 6 at The Warehouse at 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! Nice, you brought it. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure once. Uh, I never remember when he's doing it, but then when he starts and thinking, oh man, I got to come strong. But I can't come with the same boom every day. That's a good point. You gotta you gotta vary your booms. I mean, one of the things that DJ's taught me over the years is vary your booms. VYB, you can have booms of all sizes too, in all shapes, right? True story. And yeah, so I, I mean, I gotta mix up the booms. We got multiple questions to debate this morning. Here's one for you: How much credibility does the college football playoff committee have after it dropped Florida only one spot? Despite losing a four and five LSU and doing the same thing to Cincinnati, which didn't play. Yeah. How much credibility does the college football playoff committee have? Uh, you know, the the one thing that I was gonna give them credit for is that when it was all said and done, they usually put in <laughs> all at the end of the day, PK. <laughs> They no, put in beginning of the day. They put in all the undefeated teams. They eliminate all the two lost teams. And then they apply whatever handy dandy tiebreakers they want to the one lost teams. Oh, you have a better strength of schedule. Well, you lost early, but you've really improved as a team. You know, whatever they're gonna throw out. Well, you were lacking a data point. You know, whatever it is, and it's different every year. And the fact that we know it's different every year is why uh, we recognize it kind of as an invitational. It's designed to get the two 
make sure the two best teams are playing. Everyone who could be the best team in the country is in the tournament. And by going from the BCS, where a third team could literally be an undefeated conference champion, Auburn, 2004, and not, not have a chance to play for the championship, that just seemed ridiculous. So now with a four team, I have to say, have they left out a fifth place team that I thought was the champ? No, it's kind of the beauty of the format. We don't usually think there are five teams with a legit shot. Now, we also don't pick all the games properly, so just because we can't identify it doesn't mean that a fifth team that could have done it didn't get passed over. Of course. But I think largely that's not happening. However, once you put four teams, even if all four of those can't win, once you say these are the best four, a team or a conference will feel like, hey, we at least should be in the conversation, even though we acknowledge we're not the favorite. We probably wouldn't have done it. And that's where people are getting pretty bitter now. Is it like, hey, this team might not be able to win it. I don't think down deep, most people would put their heart, go, you know, go on their phone or drive to Wendover or Vegas or whatever and put their hard earned money on Cincinnati to beat Clemson and Alabama in back to back games and win it all. Most people would not cross that that threshold, that standard that your folks in Jersey have, like, I don't want to hear your opinion. Show me that you put money on it, and then maybe I'll listen to you. But if you didn't put cash on it, I don't want to hear it. And most people wouldn't put cash on Cincinnati. But it offends their sensibility that they can't even be in the conversation. And that now, and this is where it seems new, and I, I wouldn't have accused the committee of doing it in previous years, but now it seems clear, like, not only do we not want to put Cincinnati in, we don't even want to risk that with a series of upsets, we'd be forced to put them in in a year. So let's move some two lost teams in front of them so there is no way we're going to be forced to put them in, even if Bama and Clemson both collapse and Ohio State all collapse on conference title weekend. We're not, we'd rather put two lost Iowa State in there than putting in undefeated Cincinnati. Well, why is that? Are they getting some kickback from the Power Fives? Are they getting some pressure that the we've got to have this exclusively to Power Five? Because you're making strong accusations, and you got to back it up. Why? Why would they be so adverse at putting in a group of five? Are they getting money? Are they getting pressure? What's the reason? I can't imagine they're getting money. Maybe they are, but that would seem like a stupid thing to do. And so I'm going to give power fives, so but I think just getting? I think it's just the pressure they pick. Maybe they're picking people who already have the biases built in, so they just know they'll do it. Well, you're doing it yourself. Most people wouldn't pick Cincinnati to win two games. So the same thing you're accusing them of doing, you're doing yourself. Yes. Not saying that you're wrong, but you're doing it also. They can't really do that. They're not good enough. They're Cincinnati. Yep, but they deserve the right to compete in the Final Four if. I guess I think the committee is saying they don't deserve the right to compete in the Final Four, even if all the teams we picked lose this weekend playing big games. Well, no, they don't, and and I agree with you on that. But really, it's not about Group of Five, Power Five. It is a bias towards maybe seven, eight schools at best. I guess was never going to get. I wrote last year uh, in November. Utah's not getting in, guys, and I saved some of the stuff. I'm going to tell PK. Every single day when he's wrong. Well, PK wasn't wrong, and I haven't heard you say a damn thing to me since. And all the grief I took when I put that out there. Pac-12 was never going to get in. They're not getting in. No way. So, it's basically, they're biased to 7-8 teams. 
Because that's the same friggin' teams are getting in year after year virtually. That's, Occasionally a Pac-12 team gets in twice. There's multiple tiers of bias, and I certainly yeah. agree with you that that's one of them. But I think it's just uh, it's stunning to see that Florida Florida should have dropped at least five spots. And that, what that's what you does it get. Make? What, what difference it makes is that would move Cincinnati up another spot. Cincinnati what should does that make? Cincinnati should be in is eight is nine, what? and they should that's be in, like finish second in recruiting. And Who they cares? Sh- they should be in front of Georgia, Florida, and Iowa State. And if they were sixth, and if there were multiple upsets this weekend, they'd be in. And if the Queen had what, you know what she'd be? But right. So if it's not going <laughs> to happen, then go ahead and leave Cincinnati at six because then you don't have people like me coming up with opinions like this. And not that they care and, what somebody and in Salt Lake City I, I thinks. I agree with your opinion 100%. I think it's a joke. But at the same time, if you're not top four, what difference does it make? Cincinnati's going to get what they're going to get. Whether, no matter where they're ranked, they're going to get it. When, you know, not as long as they're ranked 20th, but within the framework of what you need to get the New Year's Six, they're in. Unless, I mean, they could still lose, I get that, assuming they win. Assuming they win, they will get a New yeah. Year's Six. And I, but that's, that's the best they were ever going to get. Just like it's the best that virtually all of the Pac-12 teams are ever going to get. It's probably the best that Utah is ever going to get. And they haven't gotten it yet. So I don't even know if they're going to get that. They haven't gotten that yet. So there's this bias towards just a handful of schools, basically. Two handfuls at the, at the most. The rest of them, you're not getting in. The best you can hope for is a fiesta or whatever bowl of the day you want to go to. That's just the way the situation is set up. And if you're Ohio State, you're going to get a break. Yeah, and SC, you're not going to get a break. Because now the thing with SC, well, game control. When the hell did that become a thing? Game control. SC, when they had that phenomenal comeback against the Devils, they should have been pissed because they didn't have game control. So they basically eliminated themselves in the first game in November because they didn't have game control. And because they're not Ohio State beating up on a bunch of crap teams that they beat up on in the Big Ten, which most of those teams suck. And and they didn't have game control against Indiana. Well, Indiana. My gosh, Indiana. Oh, when did I realize that Indiana became this football power? I mean, it, they didn't have game control against Indiana. What has Indiana done? Nothing. That's a nice story, and their their coach, it's great video that they play after the games when his voice makes Ed Orgeron sound like James Earl Jones, and he's all hoarse and rallying the troops, and everyone's getting all excited. Indiana, Ohio State, let Indiana come back. But now Indiana, man, they're all – look at Indiana and Tom Allen, really. Is Indiana that much better than the Devils historically? I would argue of course not. But yet that's what they had – they didn't have game control against them, but it doesn't really matter because they're Indiana. SC didn't have game control against the Devils. Well, they didn't have game control, man. They won on a tip ball without that thing. And right at the end, see, you see the bias that's there. It's, it's There's a great bias towards everybody except for a few. And I agree with you. Florida being ranked where they're ranked, it's ridiculous. And Cincinnati being penalized, it's ridiculous. So I'm with you on that. What about Iowa State? There's, there's, to me, there's no way Iowa State should be six spots in front of Coastal Carolina. This committee has a fascination with the Cyclones that I don't get. Who's coaching Iowa State? Matt Campbell, the former Toledo coach. Think about it, guys. Nobody wants to say it. Think about it. 
He's white. Is he? He is. What's the deal with Iowa State? I don't know. I don't know what the deal is, Iowa State. They just keep moving up, even though they lost to Louisiana. But what are they moving up to? They're moving up to a spot that will probably get them into a New Year's Six. I mean, they're at six. They probably won't move. But if there's chaos in front of them, they're going to benefit from it, not Cincinnati. But only one team from the group of five is going to get a bowl. Yeah. A New Year's Six bowl, right? Yep. So they got to go to somebody. So do we really care? That it's Ohio, or excuse me, Iowa State. Iowa State, they're like they're like a new kid on the block. They're not in you that know? handful, that seven, six, seven, eight teams that get the benefit of the doubt. You say that's they're like the outlier. When you look at the top ten, everybody else is supposed and to so be there. So what I mean by look at them, I mean like they're like a fresh face. So what my point in what I'm saying is look at them and who they coach by. Campbell's is hot dude, right? Isn't he being out there recognized as this coach of wow? Look, look at the work he's done. Yes. Because it's where are the what? What's Iowa State? Is it Ames? Ames, Iowa. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of off the path, right? So what? My point that I'm making here is that they can say, yeah, well, look at man, we're willing to give somebody a break. Look at that team in Ames, Iowa. We put them in there. See, so what are you talking about? That we only put the blue bloods in there. They lost to Louisiana at home by 17, and Coastal Carolina beat Louisiana at Louisiana. Coastal Carolina is undefeated. Iowa State's got two losses. They got the common opponent thing going, and Iowa State's six spots in front of them. Okay. You have no credibility. What's the difference? Coastal Carolina is not going to get a New Year's Six Bowl. (laughs) So what difference does it make? You see what I'm saying? Right. But why wouldn't they? Because on the field, look at how they Because that's the system that they, they created perform. and yeah. agreed to. One team gets in, not two. On the field, look at how they performed. There's no way they should be behind Iowa State. But <laughs> being no in front excuse. of Ohio, Iowa State doesn't get you anything. It might not. Instead You're of right. saying, we're, well, no, it won't. It's not. It might not. It won't. They're not going to get two teams in. It's not going to happen. So you need, and I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just saying if you get Ahead of Iowa State, great. What difference does it make? If it doesn't make any difference, anything for if it, it doesn't make any difference, then do it. That's one argument, sure. I, and I agree with you. I agree with you there. But the whole, I, you need to revamp everything. It's like you're just putting a uh, putting Ohio, Iowa State ahead of Coastal Carolina, or excuse me, ver, vice versa. That's putting a Band-Aid on a bleeding body, right? Yeah. So you didn't really solve anything. It's just one little thing. And, I, again, I agree 100%. But most of it was negotiated years ago. You're right. Yeah, you get right. one team in. And theoretically, you could get two in, except we all know that's not happening. I mean, it's not. And you're oh, not yeah, getting a team in the playoff. And I mean, a Pac-12 you, can get two teams into the playoff. Theoretically, it's going to happen. It but can it's, happen. But it's not. It's but not it's happening. not going to happen. So you need to just revamp the whole thing. That's that's my idea. We can we can just nickel and dime these arguments, and every single thing that you've said uh, is justifiable. So I'm not arguing what you're saying individually, but we're just picking out stuff rather than going big picture. What what are the issues that we need to do to make it more equitable? I think that's the thing. And and honestly, 
I don't think it's ever going to get that. It's like no, trying to solve either. racism, man. That's... I don't think we're ever going to solve it. I guess... It doesn't mean we don't attack it one by one. I guess that's why the people who are pushing for the eight-game playoff are pushing for it, mm-hmm. because they don't okay. think yeah. that four of the spots will go to the SEC. I'm not willing to rule that out. It would be <laughs> nice spots. to say that all five of the Power Five would be in, and a sixth one would go to the group of five, and then there'd be two basically wild cards out there. Uh, you know, so if, a, if an excellent team, you know, like Alabama's undefeated, if they get oh, upset in an SEC title game, they should still be in. If Notre Dame, right, Notre, there'd still be a spot for Notre Dame if they have a great season. You know, so if Ohio State is undefeated and gets upset in a Big Ten title game, they could still be in. Uh, and, and that sounds great, but I got to admit, when I wonder if we get there, if the SEC gets two teams in in a bad year, three in an average year, and four in a good year. Wow, four, <laughs> huh? Well, I'm looking at them right yes. now. Yeah, wow, right now, man. Alabama's one, Four. A&M's five, Florida's seven, Georgia's eight, and Florida can lose at home to an LSU team with a losing record for their second loss of the year, and they drop one spot and stay in the top eight. So you can say four is ridiculous, but is it really? I don't think it is. Man. The bias wow. is built in, and it is thick. All right. The day the SC gets four of the eight. That's a bad day. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. People have been asking me what I think of this Jazz team. I have them ahead of where some of the national guys have placed the Jazz. I think they're going to be better than what many people think. I'm basing that on the additions they made and the improvement that will come in their star players. But I can't draw strong conclusions off preseason games. I'm not going to defend the national guys because I'm with you. I don't agree with where they have the Jazz in the West. But they should be at very least incrementally better because they basically rolled back the same team but added Derek Favors, which of course is going to make you better. Better. The question is just how much. The Big Show. Weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you apart by Syringa Networks. Syringa Networks is home to complete business telecom and IT solutions backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. All right, PK, I understand you want to entertain the world with a sad story, an embarrassing story. <laughs> what, what happened? What did you? What social faux pas did you commit? What do you have to come clean on? Oh, I do, man. I'm an idiot, such an idiot. Well, first so off, we go out anyone who's listened last... to the show for a long time knows we're both idiots. Yeah. That's a given. Okay, if you want to include, but I don't know that you've ever done this. All right, let's hear it. I I was so embarrassed. Oh my gosh. Um, go out with friends last night, you know, have an opportunity, Christmas season, get together, uh, busy going forward. So go out on a Tuesday, take advantage of Tuesday prices, right? So sitting there, we got some chips and salsa and, uh, my wife and I order Coke Zeros. It's our big drink and the other couple who are Ute fans for all you people who don't think I like Ute fans, Ute fans. Uh, and I go to look behind us just to just look around. And so I look over my right shoulder, and the woman on the other couple sitting to my left, and I look over my right shoulder just to see what's going on, and I turn around. My left hand hits my drink, spills all over her lap. 
You know those old Southwest want to get away commercials? Yeah, yeah, there it is. Have you ever done anything as stupid as that? I have knocked over a drink in a restaurant, big time. Uh, I was really tired. It was early on a Saturday morning. I'd been up late on a Friday night uh, working, and I was driving to a uh, football game up in uh, the Bay Area from Santa Barbara, and I had anchored on Friday night. So got to bed at like 1 in the morning, and we were up on the road at like 5.30 in the morning. We stopped for breakfast in San Luis Obispo, and I was really tired. And uh, it was Jim Rome and I, and uh, he, he was driving. He had the station car, and I slept for like, I don't know, 45 minutes or whatever, just, on the, uh, just leaning over on the windshield. <laughs> I'm out. And uh, we go into this Denny's to just grab something real quick, and I get, <laughs> I get a thing of water and OJ, and I'm telling him something, and I knocked him into the, out into the aisle, made this huge mess, and the waitress is looking at me like, now i got to clean that up, and you're feeling like an idiot. So, yeah, I've been there. But did you knock it over a woman? I did not. I mean, the, the waitress was going to have to clean it up. That's what I felt bad about. It was a huge mess. It was unnecessary. I was tired. I was lacking muscular controls. One of those things you could see your arm going out and like, I'm going to hit the glass. I got to stop it. And I couldn't. And it made yeah, a huge mess. Yeah, but nobody was. But you're right. I didn't knock it on. I didn't drench someone. Zero. You're right. I, I felt bad that I made That's this. embarrassing is getting out. I made this else. employee clean up this big mess. But and you're it, right. I didn't drench someone I was going to dinner with who presumably you like or you wouldn't want to spend time with them. And yeah. Yes, and I knocked it all over her, and she got her, and she wants to be out with us. So obviously, she's going to look her best to present herself before me as nice as she could possibly look, right? Because I'm there. Uh, you know what I mean? No. Well, yeah, I do. I mean, I want to say no. Yes, I know what you mean. This Leading to the, a whole other awkward discussion. I'd rather avoid quickly. Yeah, right. Well, you know me and women and. It's nothing wrong with that. It's just the natural order of the world, is it not? Yeah. Whenever you say and stuff like I that, knock it I always think of uh, I always think of Lindsay confronting you. <laughs> the weather. What did you call her? Skinny. Skinny. Oh, skinny weather chick. Skinny weather chick. And she confronts you. You're calling me. The skin. And I look across the room and I realize she's confronting him right now. I can't hear it. You're way too far away in the Channel 2 newsroom. And then your body language is like, oh, I was just having fun. Didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And then she's like, but you meant hot skinny weather chick, didn't you? And your body language relaxed like, I understand the code. Yes, absolutely. From that moment forward, hot skinny weather chick. And she wanted to present herself well before me who doesn't want to do that <laughs> i just hate that expression <laughs> present what? well before me like some royal courtesan i will now be presented to the king work <laughs> what do you mean it doesn't work you show up to work and right. you want to look your best presented before what is this like some that? kind of old testament thing right i feel like we're back will, in like medieval england i will meet the king in babylon in the, the golden temple <laughs> i never said i was the king i'm not the king of anything all right let's just go to break Coming up next, Frank Dolce is going to join us. The former Ute quarterback. The Utes getting ready for Washington State, trying to make it three in a row. We'll talk with Frank about that and recruiting day. Next, Frank's been calling high school football games. He's actually seen a lot of these kids in person. Stay with us, DJ and PK.